Welcome to Harvest with Greg Laurie. This TV show is all about helping you get to know God better because God loves you and God has a plan for you and God wants to transform your life and he's told us everything you need to know about him and life in general in this book, The Bible, The User's Manual of Life. So we're going to be talking about what the Bible says and what God wants to do in your life. Again, welcome and God bless you. but rather to infiltrate, to influence. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. here on what is called the High Line. It's a park in New York City in an area known as the Meatpacking District. It's really a cool place because it's sort of elevated above the streets here of the city. In fact, this is where the trains used to run, but now it's a gathering place. People from all around the city will come and take pictures and talk with each other, have lunch, some will be out jogging. Place where people get together to engage. In the Bible, there's a story in John chapter 4 of a woman who went to a well. Now, back in biblical times, the well was actually the place where you would get water, of course, but it was where the women would get together and share the latest gossip of the day. And there is a story of a woman who was burned out and immoral and had been married and divorced multiple times. I'll talk about this later, but Jesus engaged her where she was. Jesus invaded her world. Jesus did not say that the whole world should go to church, but he did say the church should go to the whole world. We need to engage people where they're at, enter their world, so to speak. And in John 4, Jesus entered the world of that burned out, immoral woman. And you know what happened? A conversion took place. I might have had a very unexpected conversion. You know, I found that there are times when I've engaged people with the message of the gospel and asked them if they want to receive Christ into their life, and they say yes. Then there are times when I've engaged people with the message of the gospel, and they've said absolutely not. But then there have been times where I've engaged people with the gospel, and they've surprised me by wanting to believe when I did not expect them to believe. You never know what's going to happen. That's why you need to throw the seeds of the gospel out there to as many people as you can. The Bible says, be instant in season and out of season. Or as another translation puts it, be on duty at all times. Now, I told you my mom was married and divorced seven times. I had a full-time ministry sharing the gospel with my mother's former husbands. 
Not kidding. I tried to reach everyone. You know, in the midst of all these guys, my mom married into divorce, she picked one guy that I thought was fantastic. He was an attorney from New Jersey and his name was Oscar Laurie. He was different from all the other guys my mom married. My mom was sort of attracted to what you might call a bar fly. <laughs> These are the guys, you know, they're hung at the bar and their shirts are unbuttoned, a few too many buttons, you know. By the way, anything past this button, maybe too much, but it's just my thought. Anyway, so, you know, these are the guys she was drawn to. They were drinkers, they were smokers, they were party guys, as was my mom. But somehow she finds this guy named Oscar. He doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke. What did my mother see in him? And uh, he was a very good man. And so we lived there in New Jersey with him and he adopted me and he gave me my name, of course. And he treated me as a father should treat a son. He gave me an allowance, I had to do chores, I have to be responsible, and I found myself calling him dad, and though he was not my biological father, I felt, and still feel, he was my father. And so I loved him, and that's why it was so hard when I came out of school one autumn day in New Jersey, and the black Cadillac is packed to the gills with suitcases, and I say, what's going on? She says, we're leaving New Jersey, and we're going to Hawaii. Of course, I was excited, because at that point, I'd never been to Hawaii before, and I said, where's dad? And my mom said, he's not coming. Well, I didn't see him for years. So now fast forward many years, I've become a Christian. I'm married, we have one son at this point, Christopher. And uh, I was invited to speak in New York City. So I thought, I wonder if my dad is even still alive. So because he was an attorney, I had a girl in our church that worked for the Bar Association uh, track him down. She found him immediately. He was living in a place called Red Bank in New Jersey. So I called his office and and I remember, I haven't talked to him for years, and, and I called and I said, um, hi, is uh, Mr. Lorian? The secretary said, I'm sorry, he's out to lunch. Uh, I said, well, will you tell him I called? She said, well, what's your name? I said, Greg Laurie. She said, how do you spell your last name? <laughs> I said, the same way he does. L-A-U-R-I-E, and I'm his son, so please tell him to call me. I got a call quickly afterwards. Greg, he says, come and visit us. Come to our home for the weekend. Oh no, I really couldn't. You know, I knew he had remarried, had a new family. I didn't want to uh, get, you know, mess things up. I, I didn't want to intrude. He kept pressing me, come to our home. We want you to come to our home after you're done speaking. So I did my speaking engagement there in New York. We got on the train, pulled in the station. I get off and there's my dad. He, he looks just like he looked before, a little older, of course, but... It was just such a great time and we reconnected and before I knew it, I'm calling him dad again. And we went over a lot of history and what had happened to me and how he tried to get custody of me but my mom fought him. And I'm thinking, why did my mom fight him? I mean, good night. I was effectively left to myself but she didn't want him to have me. Well, anyway, so I sit down that night at dinner. I met his nice wife, Barbara, a uh, nice Italian Catholic lady, an amazing cook. She whipped us up an Italian feast, fantastic. And after we're done eating, uh, Barbara says, Greg, tell me all about your faith and how you became a Christian and how you became a minister. I said, okay, Barbara. And I'm sharing my testimony, my story. And as I'm speaking, she's like responding to everything I'm saying. That's great, that's great. And on the other side of the table, there sits my father. He has his hands kind of up to his face, kind of like, like this. And I feel like I'm in a court of law and he's the judge. And I'm giving my testimony, literally, and I feel like I'm not doing very well because he's not reacting, no visible reaction. 
So I thought, okay. So I shared the whole story, and uh, she said, thanks for sharing that story. And I was getting ready to go to bed. My dad asked me if I would walk with him in the morning. One very important detail I left out. He had just had a heart attack about two months before, blacked out at the steering wheel of his car, and ran into a pole and almost killed himself. So now he's on medication. He has to change his diet. And he has to walk every morning. So he says, will you walk with me in the morning, Greg? Yes, Dad, I will. So I get a knock on the door, you know, um, 6 o'clock in the morning, New Jersey time, 3 o'clock in the morning, California time. So I'm like, oh, so tired. Oh, and so we're walking along, and the brisk New Jersey air is hitting us in the face. I'm still kind of waking up. And my dad says to me, Greg, I listened very carefully to what you said last night. I said, right. And he said, I want to become a Christian right now. It's like, wake up, call, boom. I'm like, what? What? He says, I want to become a Christian right now. I thought he didn't understand what I was saying. It couldn't happen this quickly. So I went over it again. And he says, yes, I understand. I want to become a Christian right now, Greg. I said, well, fantastic. He says, what do I need to do? I wasn't expecting this. So I said, well, you need to pray and ask Christ to come into your life. We're in a park at this point. He drops to his knees. I'm like, Oh, and so I get down on my knees. I wasn't going to kneel in the park, but since he was there, I thought I'd get down there with him. And so I lead him in this prayer, and he prays it so sincerely. And after we're done praying, he says, Greg, I, I feel like Jesus just came on my life. Pray for my heart now, Greg. Pray for my heart. I believe God wants to heal me. Okay. <laughs> really? Let's pray. And I prayed for his heart. So then we're done praying. He gets him. He says, I want to go over to my doctor's office. It's right near here. And I want to tell him, I just asked Jesus in my heart, and my heart's healed. Now, Dad, we don't know if your heart's healed. No, I want to talk to him. So we walk over into the doctor's office, a nice Jewish gentleman. And um, my dad walks in with me. He says, this is my son, Greg Laurie. He's a preacher from California. Already, that doesn't sound good to an East Coast person. Preacher from California. And I just accepted Jesus in my heart, Doc, and my, I believe he healed my heart. Doctors say, now, Oscar, calm down. We don't know. He ran a bunch of tests on him. Guess what? His heart was better. And God gave him 15 more years. Amazing. You know, it's right here in this very area that my father came to Jesus Christ. I'm in New York City. My dad worked in the city for many years, but I was able to lead him in that prayer in New Jersey. We all play a part in leading others to Jesus Christ. Sometimes we sow seed, sometimes we water the seed that others have sown, and sometimes we reap where others have sown and watered. But God wants to use you to reach other people with the gospel. I read an interesting story in the news a while back about a guy that went fishing for what is known as the muscalunge fish, big giant fish and he's cruising around out there in this lake and he sees the biggest one he has ever seen in his life so he goes and he casts his line in and the fish isn't biting and he goes and returns again casts his line he can see the fish is in this area but the fish will not take the line so as he's coming back for the third time and cruising along he sees the fish right under the boat so he does a crazy thing he puts on a club reaches down, grabs the muskie by the gill, and pulls it, thrashing into the boat. It was the biggest ever. In fact, if he'd used a line, it would have been the biggest muskalunge fish ever caught, but because he didn't catch it properly, 
uh, he wasn't able to take that title. So they actually sent a newspaper reporter out to record this, and the reporter said to this man, so what caused you to do it? He says, well, I saw the fish, and I was just fool enough to grab it. I like that. Sometimes we need to just be fool enough to grab it. By that, I mean crazy enough to just say, hey, would you like to accept Jesus Christ into your life right now? You never know what's going to happen. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look. The field is white to harvest, but the labors are few. So I'm encouraging you, look for opportunities and just be fool enough to grab it. From the best-selling author of Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, and Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, comes Greg Laurie's new book, titled Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, which traces the rise, fall, and sometimes redemption journeys of famous rock gods who are brought to their knees and look up to finally meet the one true God. It's all in the pages of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. You'll discover the excess in self-absorption, but also of sweet salvation and the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Greg uses his own memories, interviews, and observation to draw from the lives of rock legends as they descend to the depths of hell before ascending to the highest heaven. Request your copy of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus when you give today. Point number one, telling your story, also known as your testimony, is a powerful bridge for the gospel message. Again, telling your story, your testimony, is a powerful bridge for the gospel message. It's one of the most effective tools you have in your evangelistic toolbox. Now, here's why your story is important. Because people can argue with the facts, but they can't argue with your story. See, you might say something about God and say, well, I disagree with that. And you can have a debate or however you want to approach it. But when you tell them your story of what happened to you, they can't debate you. It's what happened to you. So it's a great way to start a conversation. And listen, it's also a great way to share with someone without preaching at them. In other words, if I say, you need to accept Jesus Christ right now. You need to turn from your sin. And by the way, there's a place for that. But if I say that, a person might be put off saying, hey man, don't preach to me. So if instead I say, let me tell you my story. You know, I wasn't raised in the church. Uh, this is where I came from. This is what I used to do. And now I'm finding common ground with them. And, and then I say, but one day I went to a crusade or I went to a church service or a Christian came up to me and said this. And you know, when they said this, statement. I realized I needed God. So you're telling your story, but at the same time, you're sharing the gospel with them. And this is a great way to begin. John 4, 39 says, the Samaritans of the city believed in Jesus because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. You know, the apostle Paul was a great orator, a brilliant intellect. Yet in almost every occasion when he stood before non-believers, he began with his testimony. And I think one of the best ways to start your presentation of the gospel is tell what God has done for you. Here's just a few takeaway tips on sharing your story. Number one, 
Don't glorify or exaggerate your past. Don't glorify or exaggerate your past. Accuracy is important, so is truthfulness. I bring this up because I've heard people give their testimony and then maybe I don't see them for a while and I maybe hear them 10 years later and I'm thinking, wow, the testimony's a little more dramatic than it was 10 years ago. Now, either they went back and did a whole bunch of new stuff or they're exaggerating. And so be truthful in telling your story. And this is another thing. Don't boast about what you gave up for God. Boast of what he gave up for you. Don't boast about what you gave up for God. Boast about what he gave up for you. Let me illustrate. Sometimes people will say, you know, I was living the best life partying and women and money and drugs. Oh, man. And then I came to Jesus. And all of a sudden you have this weird accent. Jesus. And now... I carry the old rugged cross. And then you might say, I've given up so much to follow God. I've made such sacrifice. I, hey, shut up. You want to know what you gave up? You gave up guilt. You gave up a big hole in your heart. Newsflash, you gave up hell, buddy. Hell. What did God give you? Fulfillment, purpose, the removal of guilt. The absolute certainty that you will go to heaven when you die. Don't tell me what you gave up for God. Tell me what God gave up for you when he sent his son to die on the cross in your place. That's a good testimony. As we bring the gospel, we need to speak in a language people understand. I mentioned earlier, you can't use Christianese. People don't know what you're saying. You know, when you walk up to a person and say, hey, you, heathen. Uh, Philistine, come here for a second. Um, you know, have you repented? Are you justified? Are you sanctified? Are you washed in the blood? And are you part of the body? You know, you might as well have just landed from another planet. They don't know what you're saying, so speak their language. Listen to this. The days of cultural Christianity are over. What do I mean by that? Well, there was a time in America, especially closer to our uh, birth, when we had a strong Judeo-Christian ethic in our culture. It was in everything that we did. But as time has passed and we've progressed, if you want to use that word, others might say regress. I would certainly choose that term. And as we've gotten away from this, we don't see cultural Christianity like we used to see it. And there was a time when you'd go up to someone and tell them about Jesus and say, I'm already a Christian. But, you know, a lot of people don't say that anymore. <laughs> cultural Christianity is over with. There's just a lot of people now that don't profess faith in Christ at all. And in a way, it's good because the problem with cultural Christianity is a lot of people thought they were Christians who weren't. Now people just say, I'm not a Christian. And that's where I'm at, you know. So how do you reach a culture like this? The answer is simply this, with a powerful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what our culture needs to hear. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and our salvation to everyone who believes. Listen, the gospel is filled with power. I don't need to edit it. I don't need to add to it. I don't need to subtract from it. I don't need to apologize for it. I need to just proclaim it and stand back and watch God work. That's right. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation 
to everyone who believes. Don't underestimate it. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Just proclaim it and stand back and watch what God will do. You know, in the book of Acts, the 17th chapter, is an interesting story about the Apostle Paul. He went to the city of Athens. Now, at that time, Athens, Greece, was like the intellectual and cultural center of the whole world. All the great philosophers and poets came from Athens, and they would gather there to meet together and discuss the latest things, and they were also really big on worshiping false gods. In fact, Paul took a little tour of the city, did a little sightseeing, and uh, kind of looked around, and everywhere he looked, there was like an image erected to some god, some, it might be the sun, it might be the trees, it might be, you name it, they worshiped it. But just in case the Athenians missed one of the gods, uh, they had one erected to the unknown god. So Paul went to an area called the Areopagus. That was the meeting place of the philosophers, sort of the city square, if you will. Paul went into that place and he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now listen, the two dominant thoughts of the day, the two main philosophies were the beliefs of the Epicureans and the Stoics. Uh, the Epicureans followed the philosopher Epicurus and basically their philosophy was, hey, eat, drink and be merry, tomorrow we die. We still even use the phrase Epicurean today. It means a person who loves pleasure. These people live for the moment, enjoy the moment. There's nothing beyond the grave, that's it. But then this other group was interesting. The Stoics, they followed the teachings of the philosopher Zeno. And Zeno taught that God was in everything. God was in the trees, God was in the earth. And it was sort of a new age philosophy. Man, it reminds me a lot of today. Do you know what the largest category of religious people in America is today? You might say, well, Roman Catholics, no. Southern Baptists, again, no. The largest category uh, that has been classified now as a religious group are called the nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Nuns are people that believe that there is a supreme being out there. They're, they're just not certain of who that supreme being is. And it's sort of an updated version of New Age philosophy. Frankly, it's not much different than what they were into 2,000 years ago. It was Malcolm Muggeridge who once said, all news is old news happening to new people. Or as the Bible says, there's nothing new under the sun. So you'd say, well, Greg, how do we reach people like this? How do we reach people in the 21st century that don't have firm beliefs? We reach them in the same way that Paul reached people in the first century with the message of the gospel. So let's review what we've learned. Your story is a powerful bridge to bring others to Jesus Christ. When you tell your story, be accurate. Don't exaggerate it. Don't talk about what you've given up for God. Talk about what God has given up for you. Speak a language that people understand. And this is the big one. Be fool enough to grab it, meaning get out there and ask the question. As I said earlier, be on duty at all times. So the mission is clear. We're commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to share the good news anytime, anywhere. So go to your family, go to your neighborhood, go to your workplace, go to your sphere of influence, go and tell someone.
Maybe God has spoken to your heart and you have seen your need for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to this earth. He was born in a manger. He died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. Why? Because he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. Listen, I'm not talking about religion. I don't want to be a religious person. I don't think you want to be one either. I'm talking about relationship with God. Jesus, who died and rose again, stands at the door of your life and he knocks and he says, if you'll hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. Question, have you asked Jesus Christ to come and live inside of you? You might say, well, I I think so. I'm not sure. Hey, if someone moved into your house in the middle of the night, do you think you would be aware of it? I'm sure you would. And in the same way, if Christ has come to live inside of you, you will know. And if you don't know, maybe he has not come in yet. He's just a prayer away. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I want this relationship with you. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want to go to heaven when I die. Would you like to do that? Would you like Christ to come into your life? If so, why don't you just pray this simple prayer with me? You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But this is a prayer where you're asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Pray this with me now. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. Now come into my life. I choose to follow you from this moment forward. Thank you for hearing this prayer and answering this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you just pray that prayer with me? If so, I want you to know in the authority of Scripture that Christ himself has come to live inside of you. And I would love to send to you at no charge something called the New Believer's Bible. It's a very friendly translation of the New Testament. You'll find very understandable. And it's filled with hundreds of notes that I wrote that will encourage you in this commitment you've just made to follow Jesus. Let me send that to you at no charge. And let me be the first to say to you, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. From the best-selling author of Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, and Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, comes Greg Laurie's new book, titled Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, which traces the rise, fall, and sometimes redemption journeys of famous rock gods who are brought to their knees and look up to finally meet the one true God. It's all in the pages of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus you'll discover the excess in self-absorption, but also of sweet salvation and the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Greg uses his own memories, interviews, and observation to draw from the lives of rock legends as they descend to the depths of hell before ascending to the highest heaven. Request your copy of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus when you give today. 
Hey, Southern California, Greg Laurie here. You know, there's nothing like gathering together in person to worship the Lord and hear the Word of God. And I want to personally invite you to live worship at our church campuses. There's two you can choose from. Our service times are 9 in the morning and 11 in the morning. So join us as we meet both inside and outside every Sunday morning. 